0: The cost of a mortgage is obviously not as accessible as it was historically. I've personally advised on fifty-five thousand built-to-rent units over the course of the last ten years. There are built-to-rent schemes out there with no concierge and no no amenity space, and they probably don't they, they probably didn't make any big headlines when the deals were done, and they rent really well because we've got supply and demand involved, but We'll come on that in a bit. Hi, I'm Polly Simpson. I'm head of multi-family development at Savills.
1: From Atroy Lowry, I'm Oliver Lowry, and I'm John Ackroyd. And this is Urban Forecast, the show where we talk to the people defining the future of our cities. We discuss their background, what drives them, and the insights they've learned along the way. This is a podcast for anyone who's interested in how we live, work or play in the cities of the future and what that means for the built environment today. Polly, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And often I start these podcasts by asking people, their journey and their background. But in this particular instance, I'm going to mix it up. And I I want you to talk about the journey of Build to Rent.
0: The journey of Build to Rent has been a hugely exciting roller coaster. Build to Rent probably has existed in the UK for the last Decade and started with a few institutional investors looking diversifying their real estate holdings into into more or in, away from the traditional real estate asset classes, but there wasn't really a sector and a load of operational product for them to buy, so they started developing it via forward funding transactions, culminating in the first deal, which was M and G and really the trailblazers in the sector leading the way at the rehearsal rooms in North Acton in a partnership we brokered with um, Hub, and. That kind of became the blueprint for how institutions were interacting in the sector. And roll on 10 years, we've delivered 88,000 operational assets across the UK, 38,000 of those in London and the remainder across regions. So, And the balance of that is switching more towards regional development than it it was at the beginning. But there's been a lot of challenges along the way, much like all development with First of all, Carilion, we're on a lot of build-to-rent schemes, and there was construction challenges, COVID, well Brexit, then COVID, and all of that has taught us a whole a whole number of things about. The rental market and how tenants want, want to interact and with the places that they live.
1: Thank you that was a, a great oversight and I think so we did I, I think you've listened to and we had Ashley Perry recently talking about built to Rent as you know a developer of it and an investor in it. It would be good to just get a bit of an overview of, of your role and actually talk about how you did get you know your background and and how obviously your role differs from Ashley who is one of the people actually developing
0: yeah my role is very different and I'm, I'm very accidentally in build to rent as well so I joined the Savills grad scheme almost a decade ago to this day so and on a rotation I accidentally ended up in what would become the build to rent team not really knowing very much about the sector but nor did anyone at that time so it was completely fine and have never really looked back my background was in planning which has been a hugely important insight into how we can navigate what I consider to be some of the key challenges of delivering more institutional grade product for rent at scale fast which has been incredibly useful but in in our role as transaction brokers but our journey or our, our kind of role in built rent development starts very much earlier on so from concept um, what product goes where why and in in a specific location and then through the, the journey through planning, and uh, which can be quite challenging, and then ultimately sourcing, or on behalf of developers, institutional and investors like Ashley into forward funding, or on the acquisition side, advising investors on structuring deals with developers. And
1: so, the, ten years ago, when you walked into the Savills office, and you were on the rotation that ended up leading you into Build to Rent. Was that because you were working on that initial M&G deal?
0: We did broker that initial deal, but no, that was that was all. I, I joined a, I joined a team full of incredible people who are all still industry leaders in Build to Rent, but majority of which have moved on to the developer or investor side at the moment. And they, they were pioneering in the space. My job was changing the logos on the front of a business case for people should invest in Build to Rent. And we'd go around to major global sources of capital and present to to them about why residential was a great space to put money and everyone would say yeah I mean you make a good case but we're just going to buy offices so and it was it was a t- it was tough actually but eventually there's one by one and the capital kind of saw what we did and opportunities presented themselves as well so i think that it was a great theoretical place to be but without really having something to kind of analyze or get stuck into it was quite a very difficult sell so when we when we started to convince developers to also do the same thing um it was it was marrying the two became a little bit easier
1: so i recently you also had Paul Wellman and James Hammer from Savills talking about- about co-living and obviously co-living i think is kind the of new a buzzword. The new it's, buzzword know, it, it's, the new it's of, a subset of of built to rent i well yeah i think some people would say including them i think I mean, you know we were talking about how that was a very nascent sector and therefore that sort of explains why there's only three and a half thousand operational beds in the uk but actually the collective probably started developing co-living five six years ago similar time yeah maybe maybe even longer ago Build to rent seems to have accelerated much faster is that because it's got a larger addressable total addressable market or is it because the investors understood it more quickly is it because the planning system is geared towards build to rent more easily than it is towards co-living which is sort of slightly people have to use their imaginations to work out what it is what, what's your analysis
0: i think it's it, it probably. And co has co- got huge potential. And I think that it's attracting more and more institutional investment. But the reason it kind of, I, I guess the reason it, it probably hasn't continued on the same or with the same velocity, velocity as build-to-rent is absolutely to do with availability of, of product, but also the fact that build to rent's a bit more relatable. I think that was it. It's, you know, the concept of residential for rent was much easier to prove its success of throughout performance of operational assets than when you had one, which was the, the collective upper eld oak and every other co co-living scheme that that was con, kind of conceived around that time, really struggled through planning. And so it wasn't really able to get going to to generate the momentum to prove that actually people do want to live in in this kind of environment. Whereas build to rent with exceptions is largely the same as a typical buy-to-let block of flats. I mean, it's got the, from a kind of ultimate product place in in terms of what is your space. Obviously there are services and amenities or there can be services and amenities that differentiate it further. But, But generally speaking, the principles, one that was accepted, this product is somewhere, is something that people are used to living in and like to live in and therefore we can it's not so much of a risk I think we're still seeing that as well in the types of capital that's investing in co-living versus built to rent so there's not a whole lot of overlap between built to rent and student and purpose student accommodation and there is overlap between a couple of parties in co-living and built to rent but far more in co-living and student which is a bit more similar product type I think
1: yeah and it's an interesting point just to, to to go back on what you were saying is there, and Ashley was was sort of keen that there was, a distinction between your run-of-the-mill C3 residential developer-spec housing. Can you just get planning for that, build it out, and then at the last minute decide that you want to rent the whole lot out and that be built to rent? Or is there a special formula of amenities that you need to be planned in from the start if you are bringing forward a, a build to rent scheme of a certain... Size.
0: So what I absolutely love about how the sector's evolved over the last 10 years is product differentiation differentiation and market segmentation. So yeah, I mean Ashley's had an amazing track record of delivering a certain type of product for a certain group of and of which there is definitely demand from a tenant base in all of those locations. But actually the, the market is quite varied so you've got a whole spectrum of parties that deliver a different host of services and amenities and sometimes very low low, low levels of amenity space what is fundamental more than anything for build to rent development or kind of consistent across every type of build to rent development is this emphasis on the management efficiencies back of house space to make sure service is better some don't have gyms and they don't have running tracks on the roof, but they still serve a certain portion of the local population and their rental rental demands in terms of, I mean, I've personally advised on 55,000 build to rent units over the course of the last 10 years. And I would say well over probably 80%. Yeah, let's, let's go with that. 80% have not been built to rent in planning terms. They've just been an open C3 consent that you can sell or you can rent. Now that doesn't mean they don't have design features that are consistent with a build to rent scheme. But when we are kind of advising our developer clients on what the institutional market wants to see, we are rarely saying to them, that's where your gym goes and that's where your cinema should be and that's where your party room is. Every investor is very, very different in what they want to provide and what their are brand is.
1: Are you saying, because I know that, you know, you're, dare I mention that your competitor CBRE published a, a sort of guidelines on, what the minimum requirements were for each of the kind of you know like five star, three star build to rent products, and I think the minimum that it had across everything was that it did have a concierge. Yeah, you, i, so maybe, I read you guys being prescriptive and saying, look, if you want to do build to rent, really do have to have some communal facilities and a concierge and X Y Z. Yeah, I haven't read the CBRE
0: document, but yeah, I think I think the the minimum now uh, the. That there are there are two things here. So, what's the minimum that tenants would expect, and what's the minimum to get best investment value that actually has your best chance of getting things viably delivered? And they are different answers. So, there are build-to-rent schemes out there with no concierge and no no amenity space, and they probably don't they, they probably didn't make any big headlines when the deals were done, but they rent really well, and they've got a strong tenant base for and and they rent really well because we've got supply and demand imbalance. But we'll come on to that in a bit in a bit. And but, but I think that that right now. If you're if you're looking for a build-to-rent investor to come forward fund your product, then you definitely need to show that that you know the entrance lobby and that management concierge desk, back of house space is has been well conceived and designed for what the majority of investors want to deliver, which is you know, high quality services. And the amenity side of things is a price, price point variable. So, you know you you, you don't put uh, yet hot yoga room in in parts of the world where the operational cost would be would be about 50 percent rent so it's 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 common sense to an, to an extent but it's also locally driven people do what I also love watching is how different cities regionally are responding to different design aspects of, of schemes like in terms of internally in apartments but also externally so if you're in a place with lots of immunity outside you're probably not going to pay premium rents for a small gym in your building so it's been it's it's important to take in consideration all factors and I I don't really think there's a rule of thumb that really works for immunity space and build to rent
1: yeah okay good answer good answer and so uh, you said you would come back to the imbalance between supply and demand before we started I was saying that it's like the perfect conditions for build to rent because you've got rising rents, you've got property prices going down in terms of va- sales values. So you've got lots of developers going, oh, well, actually, this, the best option here is just to refinance them and, and rent them out. And so it's not necessarily the perfect conditions. It's more that it's sort of becoming the only option at the end of a development cycle for people to be able to 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 get their money back out i don't know whether those are the same things but yeah do you want to talk about first of all the supply and then maybe what, what you know have some of these external conditions accelerated built rent basically because no one can sell anything
0: you've just talked through my whole imp- I-
1: <laughs> <laughs> sorry
0: you want to job? no no i'm kidding yeah you you've absolutely nailed it so in this kind of environment and the reason why I think build to rent investment volumes to have conti- well, investment has continued to attract attention over the course of the last well yeah almost exactly 12 months has been the, the kind of structural position that we are with the housing market in 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 the UK so for co- we don't have a housing target anymore that was scrapped probably about a year ago as well but when we did we never met it so we can't now measure underperformance but we we did consistently deliver between 216 wow. and sixteen and two Forty-seven thousand homes a year against a target of three hundred thousand. Now, every year you miss that target, that that just c- accumulates and compounds to make the supply and demand um, imbalance even even worse. Rental growth, I think, has got hit a lot of uh, headlines over the course of the last well twelve months, but probably since the beginning of what well, the end of twenty one really, when we saw a COVID rebound and everyone thought it was just kind of catching up and to to an extent it was, but now it's currently sitting nationally at just over 10%, which is broadly tracking wage inflation, which historically is what has happened. And we've also seen an environment whereby buy-to-let landlords your traditional investors that would have bought homes in open market sale product or developments mm-hmm. to rent out have got a series of factors that dissuade them from doing so. So the rate of net buy-to-let net mortgage redemptions last year was far in excess of built-to-rent completions, which is about 10,000. And what we saw, if we look at some of the big national listing companies, was that available properties to rent were down over thirty percent nationally, but in comparison to their twenty seventeen to nineteen average. So you basically had over thirty percent fewer properties to choose from when you were renting, and yet each year we we continue to not deliver enough housing. the The demand increases, which is what is fueling the the rental growth situation.
1: And the fact that at the moment it's very you know if all your profit is locked into the last few units, then Selling those
0: risking. Yeah, sorry, I didn't fully answer your question about why build to rent wine and now. Absolutely. I mean, I think that you're. With the end of help to buy, which was obviously supporting a lot of development nationally, the cost of a mortgage is obviously not as accessible as it was historically. And even going back eighteen months, I think that that will prolong, or we're starting to see signs that it's prolonging decisions to buy housing and and keep you in remain in the rental sector even longer. And you know, there are build to rent buildings nationally with waiting lists that can fill the buildings twice over. So demand is is. is is strong. And all of those factors are, are kind of looking to of are our encouraging developers to look increasingly towards build to rent. Now, what I would say is not every scheme works for build to rent, and whether or not it's a last minute switch for design reasons, or it's a really expensive or inexpensive product where rents in relationship to capital values are just just aren't there. And so we quite often say that build to rent isn't isn't right for for this site or this scheme or this location. But you know the tenant demand piece is. Is there that's more of a question of viability?
1: We actually met at MIFIM, and, and I remember that was this was when I first started noticing that, that everybody was suddenly a built to rent specialist. Every developer that would have five years ago said, I'm a house builder, was now, oh, I'm in BTR because. Yeah you know everybody's has everyone's having to learn it does that mean you're you're very busy advising everybody now how to become build to rent specialists or are you seeing people try and do it themselves and, and mess it up a bit
0: of both really we are very we're, we've always been a busy team so we we started a team 10 years ago which when when build to rent we didn't have any com- competition at that point there were no other teams so one one might say first mover advantage and it was definitely that the narrative has changed to the conversations that we're having with our clients and has definitely change from us kind of chasing everybody down to everyone wanting to be to, to recognizing that the delivery of institutional build to rent is a really important part of the housing market in the UK right right now but also historically oh well sorry right now but also because it has a really important place part to play in in, in housing delivery
1: well, and um, yeah a lot, lot of, sort of, of sort of tarmac to to eat up as well because it only accounts for about three percent of UK stock and if if what you're saying is true that all of these build to let la- sorry, buy to let landlords who account for approximately thirty to forty percent of of certainly urban populations dwellings as people renting off buy to let landlords, build to rent is going to have to pick up that slack if interest rates and the tax situation forces those people out. So it, it sort of needs to accelerate even faster. Uh, well, uh. You're, pre- you're preaching to the converted.
0: I completely agree. So, 10 years taking us to deliver 88,000 operational assets. Yes, I mean, I think if you take the total pipeline that, you know, we, we get it, we're not even approaching 300,000 at the moment. And looking at the structure of housing markets in more mature institutional rental markets like the US and like Germany and, and other continental markets, our research team, some people far cleverer than me, have estimated that the UK has capacity for 2.1 built to rent units at, at its maturity so if we're delivering on average eight thousand a year i think you know you, we, we do need to definitely up, up up the pace of delivery in order to, That's to 2.1 million 2.1 million yeah.
1: yeah yeah you've got the tenant demand you've got developers wanting to build but being un- unable to sell is the issue here that there's not enough institutional appetite to support it surely it should be accelerating even faster and uh, sort of starting to eat up market share of normal C3 residential?
0: I think I think theoretically that's absolutely that 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 is right I think that that what what I would say is that built rent isn't completely absorbed uh, well isolated from the macroeconomic challenges and you know, rises to interest rates has an implication on on capital and and has affected yields construction cost increases have 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 had every part of the real estate development world and and build to rent isn't it, it isn't isn't absolved from that so so in theory yes we we should be taking up a greater share in fact we we are in terms of starts on site build to rent versus open market sale for this year in urban locations is something like 30 to 40% depending on which city you're in historically build to rent's hovered between 8 and 9% of all starts on site nationally it's currently sitting at 13% and which is encouraging and do i think that institutional appetite or sentiment has shifted dramatically over the course of last year like no i think the support for the sector is is still there and is as strong now if not stronger than it's ever been finding deals that are deliverable and that have the counterparty covenant strength and planning which meets regulation, which is changing, I'm sure you know, from a design perspective, we has has really slowed progress throughout the course of this year, having to amend almost every planning application that was no no longer compliant with new building regulations and Building Safety Act um issues has slowed everything. So in terms of what we've seen over the course of the last 12 months is every year pretty much Build to Rent has had a record-breaking year for capital deployed into the space. Last year was about 4.5 billion, well was 4.5 billion, 50 transactions, 33 different investors and 11 of those were brand new. So that is about 33% of new entrants to the market which is actually consistent with every single year. The majority of new entrants coming from North America or or, or or the UK. This year we had a pretty slow start to be honest. 820 million in Q1 was one of the lowest quarters of capital deployed into build to rent. But then Q2 was the strongest ever Q2 for capital and for deals to happen. And so I think that and all of those things reflect sentiment, maybe six to nine months pre sentiment, but ability to transact six to nine six to nine months earlier because. That's how long it takes to do deals, and so so Q3 has been quite quiet. Everyone seems to have been on holiday for August, but we're going to probably end up with a Q3 that's broadly in line with last year's Q3, so just under a billion. So, whilst I I was asked at the beginning of the year if I what I thought and I predicted AltVend would have a record breaking year this year. I think in context, it will, in context of capital deployed into real estate allocated to the living sector or allocated specifically to build to rent. I think this will be a record breaking year. I don't think we'll get to 4.5 billion. So the sector isn't growing, but, but, you know, I do expect us to hit four.
1: It sounds like, you know, a a sort of unstoppable trajectory for build to rent. Is there anything with a change in potential change in administration next year that you think might stifle the sector with Labour coming in?
0: The talk of political change and what that means for in explicitly for rental growth and rental growth or controlled rental growth had been a massive topic for the sector for, for years to come lots of speculation but relatively un, unfounded I think we're in a bit more of a positive position now knowing that neither of the main two political parties are going to advocate for rent controls in their manifestos when it comes to campaigning now that's not that I'm supporting obscene rental growth I rent in London and my rent went up a ridiculous amount last year but what I do think is that the only way to really combat rental growth which is unsustainable is through increasing supply and any sort of barrier to to investment or to delivery like we saw in Scotland when they bought the rent freeze in and which I think is going to have such long lasting repercussions on the housing market there is extremely dangerous and detrimental to housing delivery in the UK.
1: Good thing to end on. Polly, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure and I'll catch up with you soon. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. If you enjoyed the show, then please subscribe and give us a review, ideally a five-star one. And uh, if you want to know more, please go to akroydlowry.com or follow us on Twitter at Akroyd Lowry and Instagram with the same. This podcast supports LandAid, the property industry charity that brings together the sector to deliver life-changing projects for young people who really need it. Visit www.landaid.org to find out how you can help end youth homelessness.